Jesus predicts his death. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Those who would come after me must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their lives will lose them. But those who lose their lives for me will find them. What good will it be for you to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? Or what can you give in exchange for your soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward those according to what they have done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Remarkable words of Jesus, that he made that decision, that he would follow the Father's will and go to the cross. We're going to sing now of those words. It's a song that has... Day. It's having a quiet day. I have this very strong sense in my heart that God was saying to me, go to Plangorse Lake, the very place where God had spoken to me so clearly uh, about the call to come here to serve the Lord over 15 years ago now. And I knew that he would speak and he would make his ways known and I listened. And as I sat there, I saw the view over Llangorse Lake of Munnith Troyd. And I've given Dave a picture of that. Munnith Troyd is that huge mountain uh, in the background. The lake is wonderfully blessed with so much wildlife. We enjoy that view every day. But I was, as I watched and listened, and just in silence in the evening light, the words from Psalm 95 came to my mind, words that I'd recalled from many years ago in the Revised Standard Version. O come, let us sing to the Lord, let us joyfully sing to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving, let us sing joyfully to him in psalms. For the Lord is a great God, and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the heights of the mountains are his also. I looked at that mountain, and it's it's yours, Lord. It's all yours. You're the God of the mountains. The sea is his, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land. 
in the light of who God is, the psalmist goes on, O come, let us worship and bow down. It's the only response we can make to such a great, great God. Kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. This awesome maker of all things, like in Psalm 121, he still watches over us and he leads us. We are the sheep of his pasture. This great God comes to where we are and leads us to where he would take us. And so during that time, my perspective was renewed. The greatness of God became even greater and the call to worship deeper. For at its heart, life was about kneeling down before the Lord my Maker and following the one who leads me into life to be one of those sheep that's seeking to find the pasture that the Good Shepherd leads me into. And so the question that this morning we're invited to explore is what does that following look like? We've been thinking about how Jesus called Peter to follow, but now there is something different going on. Because it was at that time that Jesus began to explain to his disciples about his journey towards the cross, and indeed beyond the cross, through the cross, to resurrection. The time of recognition of who Jesus really was was very quickly followed by the call now to follow. He moved, Jesus moves, from teaching the crowds in parables to teaching the disciples in preparation. His attention is on the twelve. The crowds are very much in the background now because they are the ones who need to understand where he's going and why he's going there. He says to them that the Son of Man must go and be, and be crucified. The Son of Man must be raised again on the third day. And we read in Matthew that Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. I can quite understand, Peter. Again, we feel sorry for this impetuous disciple. He's only trying to say, no, Lord, don't do that. Because he doesn't yet understand why. But Jesus turns and again looks at Peter and said to him incredibly strong words. Can't imagine being spoken to like this by Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. This is something that I can see in Peter, I can see in you, Peter, is not just from you, is from something beyond you, more sinister and evil than you. Just as he'd seen that Peter had been able to have a revelation of who he was by the Father, God the Father, he could see that this was Satan working through him to say something that sought to deflect him from his goal. Get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. 
Jesus could see the source of Peter's protest coming like St. Paul was able to write later to the Ephesians, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Satan, the word he uses, that Hebrew word that literally is translated as the accuser or the deceiver, Jesus was later to describe him as the father of lies, whose primary purpose is to oppose God's ways and his will. Now that phrase, get behind me, I've always thought of sort of go away from me, Satan, you know, just get, get out of the way. But reading around this and the commentaries and things, which has really helped me to understand a bit more about it, it's interesting that phrase can also mean get in line with me, Satan. You know, get behind me and get in line with me. Don't try to get ahead of me. I am the one who has all authority to lead, and I'm going the way God leads. Don't try and chip, trip me up. You are, says, he says to, to Satan now in Peter's guise, you are a stumbling block to me. A stumbling block is only a stumbling block if it's ahead of you. Satan has sort of tried to get ahead of Jesus and deflect him from his ways. Rather like Andy leading the conga round, it's fine whilst the children followed. <laughs> if someone try and get ahead, it causes all sorts of problems. I think of the children going back to school next week, or this coming week, um, I see them whizzing along on their scooters, you know, and, and sort of uh, the parents are way behind, and I'm thinking, oh my word, what's going to happen to those poor children? Wouldn't do that in my day, you know, sort of all that sort of thing. And, uh, and yet there they are. And, and I, I genuinely fear for those children because just, you know, one little thing off the pavement and they, under a car or whatever, they should, no, it's not, it's judgmental. So I'll leave it at that. Anyway, Jesus is saying, don't run ahead. Don't go into danger. Just make sure you're behind me and go my way. He is recognizing that for us humans, it's so easy for us to follow our own agenda and not his. And Jesus makes this very clear to all his disciples in the most challenging statement I think there ever has been said on discipleship. Because once in making that point about the significance of getting behind him, getting in line with Jesus, he then says to the, his disciples, not just to Peter, to all of them, whoever, now he's talking to anybody, or to us as well, so his disciples and to everybody, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. So it's not just follow me, it's about denying the selves, taking up their cross. Denying the self, what does that mean? Well, it is a choice. Just as Jesus chose the cross, we have to choose where invited to, because he doesn't compel us, but he does say must, <laughs> must deny themselves. In other words, to choose to dethrone self and enthrone Jesus. Jesus, we enthrone you, means that we have to choose to dethrone ourselves. We could write another verse to that song. Joe, I dethrone myself in order to enthrone Jesus. Like with the 
the sign of the cross that was made on cross the body. It's a big eye crossed out. You know. A life centered on me has to be put to death. That's a tough call. And then to take up the cross. In other words, whatever the cost, whatever sacrifice it takes, the commitment has to be total. But, says Jesus, it is worth it because you will find life in all its fullness. For he says, whoever wants to save their life, whoever holds on, puts themselves first, they'll lose it. Life in its fullness, life in eternity will lose it. But whoever, whoever, doesn't matter what their background is, whoever loses their life for me will find it. The way to up is down, as one poet puts it. St. Paul said, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards. I'm going that way, I'm going towards heaven. But it's through the cross. It's through the cross. It has to be. Because that's the way that Jesus led and that's the way we have to follow. Through suffering, through grit, through commitment, which is uncompromising and unashamed and is horrendously difficult. And often we will fail and we thank God for the cross and the forgiveness and the hand that reaches down and pulls us up again. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Because ultimately it means we share in the life of God forever. Going back to the picture, you can see the very summit of Manoeth Troyd, Mount Troyd. It's, uh, it's a great view from up there. Dave, can you show us it? That's the view from the mountain looking back down onto Clangorse Lake and Clangasty. And you can see the Brecon Beacons in the distance and Penavan and the other peaks of the beacons. Absolutely stunning. And Sean and I uh, decided on one hot day in June, one of those hot days in June, to climb Munith Troyd. We thought, oh, that'd be a great view from up there, let's go. And uh, we trudged and trudged and trudged and long way it was, wasn't it? <laughs> Poor Sean. And both of us were sort of really, really pushing it. But eventually, we got to the place where we could see was the top of the mountain. Oh, thank goodness. We have arrived. Hallelujah. And we just took the last step, almost climbing up the, uh, the face of the mountain. And we looked. And we stood and saw it wasn't really the top. <laughs> It was just all we could see and thought was the top. There was a little bit more to go. Oh, no. Have you ever had that feeling where you think you've, all, you've got there, but then you just haven't? There's a bit more to go. You have to press on a bit more. Well, that was our experience. There was a last push needed, a total commitment to get to the top. And here we've seen Jesus preparing his disciples for this final push. 
And he says to anyone who would be a Christian disciple, if you follow me, you will have to go on that final step. You'll have to go the extra mile. But it will be worth it. And if you want to really know what life is about, you will know that following Jesus is tough and requires everything, but it is worth it. It's the only way to live. And it's a life lived in the company of Jesus and in the power of his Spirit who gives us the inner strength to keep on keeping on. I can stop there, but I just want to link that in with another journey that we've been on.